life is spiritual and it should be lived from the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm is unseen. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler and together with my wife, children and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West online and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God is good. All the time. <laughs> you are well trained. Thank God. It's a beautiful thing to be in the presence of God. It's precious. It's, it's holy. It's amazing. And um, what a privilege and an honor to do that. Sure. How are you doing, church? Everyone good? So glad you're here. So glad we get to be here. We have been busy journeying through the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And uh, today we're coming to the, the 10th chapter. And uh, this, I've been thinking, praying, prepping for this one for quite some time because it's such a there's such an amazing truth that Paul shares with us here today. And I'm going to give you the title. And um, some of our team has already challenged my title because it's apparently challenging. But by the time, but by the time you, you hear the end of this message, I believe it will make sense. So the title is Waging War, Wielding Weapons Unseen. And how you can think of this to make it a little bit easier is to say, I am waging war, wielding weapons that are unseen. How many believe that? That we have these weapons, amen? Oh, that's cool. Then we don't have to do the sermon because it's, you got it. <laughs> All right. Well, we've been seeing from 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians that Paul has been dealing with this church that he planted and it hasn't been easy. Now, as a young church planter myself, I can associate a little bit with Paul and the things that he is challenged by. And I, the more I talk to other pastors and church planters, the more I hear that, you know, it's par for the course, that things happen and that people can be difficult and cause problems. And the one told me a story about a family that they had in their church. And I thought this was actually quite a good summary of what some of us can go through. So he, he, he said they have this family in the church called the Tate family. And, um, and it was really tough and challenging because they had old man dictate who told everyone what to do. They had uncle rotate who kept on trying to change everything. They had his sister agitate who stirred up plenty of trouble with her husband irritate. And whenever there's new project, Hesitate and his wife Vegetate wanted to wait around till next year. Then there's Aunt Imitate who wants their church to be like every other church. Devastate always provides the voice of doom. And Potentate wants to be the big shot. And of course there's the black sheep of the family, Amputate, who has completely cut himself off from the church. Every church has some form of the Tate family, and I think if we're all very honest with ourselves, we have maybe all been a bit of a Tate ourselves at some point. The Tates and us need, some, always tend to act from beliefs that, they, that we have that are linked to wounds, which open them up to lies from the enemy which caused them to have preconceived ideas about God and church 
and cause them to have expectations from God and from church leaders and from members. And which, when these expectations weren't met, offense came in. And offense led to frustration, anger, insecurity, and fear. Another way of putting it is that they have, the Tate family have strongholds in their minds. That they believe arguments and they hold on to ideas that are contrary to the knowledge of God, His ways, how leaders should love, how leaders should be loved and honored, and how fellow church members should be loved and respected, and how the church should operate. This is what happens when the wrong strongholds, arguments, and ideas are here, and they come out. Amen? Would you agree? This happens, and we all can fall prey to that, and we all have to be weary that we don't fall into that trap. Amen? So, in 2 Corinthians 10, we now are going to read more about the troubles that Paul was facing with people in the church. There were other leaders in the church of Corinth that were slandering his name, that were doing damage to his reputation, and many church members allowed themselves to be influenced by these so-called leaders. Now, Paul challenges the approach of looking at things in the flesh. He says to them, you're looking at things with your real eyes, and, and you're only looking at the physical reality, and you're waging war, so to speak, in the physical, taking on only what you see. And now he's trying to help the guys in Corinth, and by extension us, to make a shift from how we see things in this realm to making us look at things in a different way. And that is, a, is focusing on the spiritual reality. And so what I want to tell you today, and if there's anything you take away from today, is this truth. Life is spiritual. Life is spiritual, and it should be lived from the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm is unseen. Did you know that? You cannot perceive it with your physical eyes. That's why it is unseen by these eyes. Now, to deal with the unseen, we need to have faith. Why do I say that? Well, let me take you back to the end of Hebrews 10 and the beginning of the well-known Hebrews 11, 1, 2, and 3. So Hebrews 10 from verse 32 in the NIV, it says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light? Which, what's that? Salvation. You remember those days you received salvation? When you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sure. In other words, you were going through a tough time because of what you believed. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Joyfully accepted the confiscation of your own property. How many of you get excited when people take your stuff? Because of what you believe. They're like, I'm going to take that. Because you knew. What did they know? They knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. What is he talking about? Unseen possessions that they had by faith. Amen? So, now he says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he had promised. This is another if-then statement. God promised something, but it is linked to us enduring until the end to receive the promise. For, now he's quoting Old Testament, in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. Everyone says, righteous ones live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Ooh. 
shrinks back from what? Living by faith. I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back. Look at what is the consequence of being, of shrinking back. They shrink back and are destroyed. But we belong, so he says we don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we, in other words, sorry, but we belong to those who have faith and are saved. And then it goes straight into Hebrews 11.1. Now faith, this faith that I'm talking about, that gives you the ability to see the unseen is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it, by what? By faith, the elders, those who came before us, obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that, listen to this, I hope you're awake. The things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. The things which are seen were not made of things that are visible. Seen things were made by unseen things. And you need faith to believe that. You need faith to understand that. Are you with me? Now, repeat after me. Life is spiritual. The spiritual is unseen. We live by faith and not by sight. Faith gives us substance. Faith gives us evidence for the things unseen. Are you with me? You don't have to repeat that. Okay. But you did very well. It's a good class. In other words, so if we know this, life is spiritual and faith gives us the substance and evidence we need. So to operate in the unseen realm, we need unseen weapons. Amen? All right. So now, after that very short introduction, we're going to dive into 2 Corinthians 10. All right? Are you with me? Who's excited about reading the Word of God? Who knows that the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit and what we're about to read is from the mouth of God? All right. So Paul is talking to them as, as a leader, but he's coming to them in such amazing humility. I want you to see how he's speaking to them. He says, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, now Paul means humble or small. The name means humble or small. He's even saying his name to line up with, he's saying, I'm coming in humility and gentleness. Who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. He's doing that in parenthesis because this is what is said of him by these people who've been talking negatively about him. He says, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of the world. Okay, so Paul states in his manner of approach, comparing it uh, to the humility and gentleness of Christ. So he's saying that the same way, he's appealing to that, uh, you can take down the scriptures for now. He says that in the same way that Christ is gentle and humble, I'm coming to you. All right, so he says the New King James uses the word meekness where the NIV uses the word gentleness. And the word meekness is actually so much stronger because if you know that when we discussed early in the year, the Sermon on the Mount, we know that one of the, uh, the Beatitudes talks about being meek. And meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. You, it actually, the, the original word there speaks about what happens when a man breaks in a horse, a wild stallion. And so that power of that amazing stallion is now under control. When the guy who broke him in has him, he's under control. But the power is not gone. So a meek Christian is, some, is a powerful person under the control of God. Are you with me? All right. 
Now, Paul's way of communicating has apparently been under fire, and he addresses that using words to reiterate how he's coming to them versus how others have characterized them. Now, Paul has been dealing with the Tates. <laughs> he's been dealing with the Tates in his church. Now, I wrote a little I wrote a little verse because, you know, the songwriter in me kind of got excited when I was dealing with this whole thing. So just, just pretend like this is really funny and really creative. All right, I'm going to give it a bash. Paul was dealing with the Tates, but he didn't want to meditate on their apostate states. He wanted to, them to gravitate to their reborn state. He didn't want to dictate, but in love, help them to do a metanoia rotate to their God-given fate, letting them know it's not too late because the mercy of God is great. It should be enough to motivate all to throw off every worldly weight of their now dead sinful state. Thank you, thank you. I really appreciate that. But did you follow that? So Paul loves them so much. He has been taking a beating and people have been slandering him and killing his reputation and he's coming to them and say, hey, I know that you know they say this and they say that and they say this, but I want you to know I'm coming to you with a humble heart and you need to realize that what these people are doing as they are only looking at us, him and his team, from the outside, on outward appearances. Then he kicks into the most powerful part of what we're gonna read today. So, we pick up in verse three. He just told them, these people are looking at this the wrong way. And then he goes into verse three. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Yo. This is, I'm going to read it to you in the New King James as well. And I want you to see all, both of these translations. New King James verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. He could have said, although we walk in the seen realm, we do not fight in this realm. We fight in the unseen realm. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, physical, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Wow. Paul has been judged by others in the flesh. He has been characterized by other leaders and people in the church based on his outward appearance and the way that he comes across in his personality. The way he speaks when he was with them and the way in which his words are harsh in his letters. They are only looking at that. And, and, and he's taking this and then he speaks about spiritual warfare. Do you notice how it's, he's not talking about dealing with things that we might deem as bigger or more important when it comes to matters of the spiritual realm? Don't you think so? He's talking about, they said nasty things about me. Let me talk to you about spiritual warfare. He's not saying, let's take a city and cast down the prince of Persia. Do you understand what I'm getting at? He's not talking about what we would think are big spiritual things. He's talking about something that we might actually deem as not that big a deal. But Paul makes it a massive deal. So maybe we should sit up and listen. Amen? Are you with me? All right. I'm, I have to, st I stopped long ago asking, do you get it? Because people said I mustn't ask that. So I'm not going to ask, do you get it? 
He's not talking about what we think is big or important. He's dealing with words of people. He's dealing with things that came out of people's mouth. He's dealing with gossip, slander, defamation, character assassination, lies, manipulation, and intimidation. That's what he's dealing with. But actually, these things are very spiritual in nature and very significant and important to know how to deal with. Why? Because life is, wow, that was sad. Life is, life is, moi. And the spiritual is unseen. When someone speaks out a lie about another person and gossips and slanders, that lie came from somewhere. By the time the person has spoken the lie and the gossip, there was a process before that. Amen? I'll prove it to you. How many men here have had their wives come to them and say one short sentence and they have no idea what their wife is talking about and the wife gets upset? Because how can you not know what I mean? Because I've had this whole thought process in my mind that came to this conclusion and now I'm just saying what's necessary and you should have been a part of the whole thought process. What's wrong with you? Any, any men, married men, can attest, they're very afraid to put their hands up. But <laughs> donkey, donkey, donkey. Every woman will know that there's a process that happens before something comes out of your mouth. Amen? Sometimes we react in a moment. All right? Yes, that happens. But there's also when you have a knee-jerk reaction in a moment, it's because you have a pre-existing way of believing and thinking, and you have a pre-existing sense of values. So one Christian can bump their toe, and a swear word comes out, and they go, oops, because they had an old man hiccup. Why? Because they haven't dealt with what comes out of their mouth. Because it says, out of the abundance of your heart comes what you say. Amen? So, if, but if we have died to self, been, been, uh, God has convicted us of certain things and we've been cleansed and we've been going through the process of renewing our minds, then more and more over time, that kind of stuff should happen less and less. Amen? Are you in agreement? Now, so when someone speaks a lie or a gossip, there was something that happened before it. That thought that was spoken was triggered by something. For example, case in point, Paul planted the Corinthian church. When he was with them, they experienced him as loving and kind and gentle. And they would, you know, as you would expect a pastor or a shepherd to be. That's what they knew of him. But... Um, then he went away and he didn't come back when he promised to come back, which he explains in one of his letters. But he was made aware of sin in the church and he addresses that sin in no uncertain terms. This is seen by some as harsh. So loving pastor in person now sends a letter and rebukes. And some go, well, that's not, you know, the Paul that we sort of, New. So the wrong thinking is that because a pastor is loving and kind and gentle, he's going to be soft on sin. Can you see the thinking? All right. So now when he speaks up about holiness, some go, whoa, whoa, what's happening now? So this is seen as harsh. And why would his call on them to live holy and sort a sinner out cause them to feel harsh? Because they weren't taking holiness as seriously as Paul was. Or they perhaps have gone slack in that area. Um, because with, with Paul now gone, how many of you know that when you were in school and the teacher was in class, you were more well behaved than when the teacher left the class? Some of you might still be doing that at your job. When the boss is there and when the boss is not there. Oh, integrity. Eh? This may have happened with Paul gone. But Sela, as he cut weg is, as he may's boss. With Paul gone, maybe they got slack. And, but like a naughty child, they now 
now that Paul has taken them to task, they feel caught out. And now they retaliate. Instead of humbling themselves and submitting to God and God's given authority in Paul, they get offended. And that offense now rises up and it manifests as lies that come out against Paul out of a place of insecurity. The emotion that was probably behind it was also a form of jealousy. As the ones who spoke badly of Paul are also seen as leaders. So if a leader feels insecure because another leader is more important than or being followed by more, that insecurity is like it comes into form of jealousy and then when the moment comes, they speak the lies, they speak the, the negative things. Because later Paul refers to these same people as people who commend themselves. People who say how amazing they are. And he gets a little bit sarcastic actually when he talks about them. If, well, that's the way I read it because it's fun. Now, in the same way that it happens in, happened in Paul's life, this is how it can happen in our lives as well. When you trace a curse spoken by someone, a lie spoken by someone, or an insult, if you, if you trace that word that was spoken back to where it came from, you will get to that person's original thought that triggered it, and you'll find the source. And the source is unseen. How many of you know that you can't see someone's thoughts? You can't see what someone's thinking. How many of you are very happy that I can't read your thoughts right now? I'm very happy you can't read mine. <laughs> Imagine that. I remember as a, as, a, as a high school and a student, I thought the worst possible thing that could ever happen is that someone finds a way to project my thoughts onto a wall in a public place. It would freak me out completely. Anyway, now the source is unseen because what happens in our thoughts and is where, uh, which is where our earthly body, soul, and spirit intersect with the spiritual realm. So thoughts are unseen because what's happening inside here, it's my mind, it's part of my soul, it's part of where my spiritual thing, the spiritual thinking and operating is happening. Amen? You've heard the term the battlefield of the mind. Have you heard that? Made famous by um, Joyce Myers, Battlefield of the Mind. Um, when we started the Sons of God group, we read a book called Winning the War in Your Mind by Craig Rochelle, which is really a powerful, helpful book. And he talks about the same thing, that the battle is happening up here. And thoughts are coming. And some people think they should say every thought that comes into their minds. Have you met people with no filters? So children come with no filters. They, <laughs> they don't have, we teach them to have filters, right? No, you can't say that woman is fit in front of him. No, filter, okay? And, and so we learn over time, and some filters are actually very unhealthy, but we, we put up some filters. We don't, there's certain things we, we don't say. And then later in life, how many of you have gra grandparents that are over like 80 or 90 and they've lost their filters again? <laughs> they just say exactly what they want. They don't care, you know. <laughs> but so your filters also protect you from others knowing what's really going on in your mind. Amen? All right. So we know from Romans 12 that we change, we grow, and mature as Christians by the renewing of our minds. And that statement from Paul in Romans 12 starts with him saying this is a spiritual thing. Well, how do we know that? He says, present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy, because this is your reasonable service, your reasonable worship. That's spiritual language. Then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he talks about operating inside the church. He talks about how you need to love your brother, bring what God has put in your life and do it to the full. It's all linked to this unity in the church. Can you see that? All right, now at this point, I wanna enter into our reading today, the armor of God from Ephesians 6 because it ties in so beautifully with 2 Corinthians 10. 
So let's read together from Ephesians 6 verse 10. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But what do we wrestle against? Against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, which we know from a few weeks back is the second heaven. Therefore, take up, because this battle is raging, therefore, take up the half of the armor of God. Oh, no, wait. The whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Everyone says truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Everyone say righteousness. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. Everyone say gospel. Above all, taking the shield of Faith, everyone says, with which we will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying sometimes, oh no, wait. Praying half of the day, no, wait. Praying for five minutes when I wake up, no, wait. Praying for five minutes before I go to sleep, no, wait. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. Where do I pray? In the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Your life is spiritual and the spiritual is unseen. But look what's happening in the unseen realm. Man, if some of you can just get as excited about this as you get excited about a video game, your life will be completely different. Because what is better than knowing that I am actually operating in the spirit, even if I'm in this body? What do people do with video games? They want to be that avatar in the game, in another reality. They want to be in a virtual reality that doesn't exist. But I'm here right now in a spiritual reality that does exist, where I can make a difference daily by wielding the weapons of warfare that God has given me already. And I can make a difference. It starts here with what do I allow in my own thoughts? What do I not allow? Do I take every thought captive and say, is this against the knowledge of God or is this in line with the knowledge of God? And then when I listen to people, I can also distinguish whether this argument, lofty idea, philosophy that they are perpetrating, if it's against or for the knowledge of God. And then I can pull those strongholds down by saying something or by praying something. This is the weapons that Christians have had for over 2,000 years. Are we using it? If 78% of South Africans are Christians, and they all are using this to the full potential that there is, praying always, why does our nation look the way it does? It's because there's a lack of revelation for the average Christian that this is who we actually are. This is what we have access to. Because we hear scriptures like this and we go, wow, that's amazing, praise God. We walk out of here and we go, ah, it's not really real. There's nothing more real than this. We allow the seen realm to infiltrate us so much that this, doesn't, this, this is less important than or we are so chasing the, the supernatural the way we think it should be, or the supernatural that has everything to do with just me, that we miss it. Signs and wonders. I just want signs and wonders. What are you actually saying? I just want to experience something. 
But what is the Holy Spirit for? What is the spiritual warfare weapons for? Advancing the kingdom of God. Being a witness for Christ. Amen? Come on. Did you notice here how he also refers to the strength of the Lord and the power of his might? In 2 Corinthians, he says, we have weapons that are mighty in God. So we see that coming together. Amen. Did you notice how many times he said the word stand? If you go and read that again, say stand loud every time you read it. It's like, wow, that's amazing. The standing is dependent on having the whole armor of God. Don't just have your helmet of salvation. That's a start, but it's not the whole armor. Don't just have your helmet and your breastplate of righteousness. Now you've just got your thoughts and your heart covered. What about your, your loins? It needs truth. Your shield is very important because it quenches all the fiery darts of the enemy. Not some, all. You've got a sword, which is the word of God and the spirit of God. It's the same thing, but both are there. What does it mean? It is written, the spirit of the Lord is with me. Amen. If Jesus quoted scripture when he was tempted in the desert, how much more should we not be able to quote scripture? It's a weapon that you have. Do you know this weapon? Do you wield this weapon? Do you use this weapon? It is written in Jesus' name. Are your feet shodded with the willingness, the willingness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus? That refers to a scripture in Psalms that says, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the good news. Some of us are happy with the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and, you know, the enemy must just not attack me and I'll, 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 now and again I'll cut my sword, you know, but I just don't want to share the gospel with anyone. Do you have the whole armor? No. Then the promise doesn't kick in. You must have the whole armor of God. Then the promise kicks in. Do you see that? <laughs> yeah, it's challenging, eh? Do you notice that he used the words above all when he said faith, the shield of faith? Above all have the shield of faith. Why? Because we've already seen that the faith is, faith is the thing that helps us to operate and see the unseen realm. Above all, have faith. Yo. Did you notice the importance of prayer? Did you notice it? Guys, prayer is so powerful. One of the things that I'm sure you can attest to is that one of the areas where the enemy has been able to win you, beat you the most, is to have you not pray as regularly as you know you should. Amen? Why? Because if he can get you to a place where you think you have to fight all your battles in the flesh, he's won. Because I have your aansit in hierdie realm. But the moment you pray, the moment you call on God the Father, the moment you use the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and the moment you move with the Holy Spirit, the enemy cannot stand. Faith, the shield of faith stops every dart of the enemy. But now will you do that? Because an applause for that point means nothing if you're not gonna actually go home and pray. And then pray the next day, and the next day, and the next day. A big part of our victory lies in consistency. We get tired. It's because you're trying too hard in the flesh. Your flesh will get tired. It's because you have maybe forgotten for a moment that you are supernatural. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. When you are born again, you host the Holy Ghost. Amen? So you have access to the supernatural. You have access to the unseen, which is a strength that your body might feel weak, but your spirit is revived and can keep praying. I don't care if you lie down because you're tired. Keep praying. While you're lying there, pray. Quote scriptures. If you can't do nothing else, 
and you should do this anyway regularly, but if, if you feel like, man, I don't know, the Bible says the murmurings that the Spirit does through you is also important. So you can be there like just praying in your tongue. And just see that God moves in your life. Amen? Because he says, pray where? He said it. Pray where? In the Spirit. Praying always in the Spirit. Yes, in your prayer room, but in the unseen of your prayer room, you are praying in the Spirit. Just that's where it happens, in the Spirit. Can you see how this all ties together so beautifully? Can you get excited about it, child of God? Come on. Yo. So we have unseen weapons and unseen armor. Thanks to 2 Corinthians 10 and Ephesians 6, we know that as born again, water baptized, Holy Spirit filled followers of Jesus, we have access to both weapons that are mighty in God and armor of God, both of which are unseen, linked to God, and God is the source of their power. So the source of the power that we have access to is pure, powerful, and perpetual. Are you impressed? Pure, powerful, perpetual. If you don't know what perpetual means, ongoing, always lasting, never running out. It's like the best battery in the world, in the spirit. Okay, now let us get back to 2 Corinthians 10 and notice Paul's very next sentence. Now, I've thrown in a lot here in the middle, I know, but I wanna take you back and just remind you, what did we say? Paul says that, we have weapons that are not seen, that are not carnal, that are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, arguments, lofty ideas against the knowledge of God and taking captive. Jy kan elke gedachte arresteer. Jy kan het doen. You take the thought captive, not God. You. Sometimes we go, Jesus help me. He's like, I've helped you. I've given you the Holy Spirit. I've given you my word. Read my word and do what it says. You help me. Ek het. Jy moet ook iets doen. That's maybe a little bit more me. But I'm tired of seeing Christians being victims. We're not victims. Hello? Our king has already won. We're just waiting for that final battle. All right. But in the meantime, we can take ground for his kingdom. And if we're not doing it, it's, it's not his fault. It's our lack of revelation and lack of obedience. Can you see that? So now he said to them, our weapons, he says, these guys are looking at me in the flesh. But I don't operate in the flesh. I operate in the spirit. These are my weapons. And now he says in verse seven, we're gonna pick it up in verse seven. Now I'm gonna read a long part. It's the rest of the chapter. Stay with me. You are judging by appearances. You are judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. Some of these people were saying that we are of Christ and we are of Paul and we are of Apollos. So he was kind of telling them, hey, if you're of Christ, I'm of Christ. We're all from the same body. So even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority the Lord gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I will not be ashamed of it. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. He's setting them straight. Can you see that? When we, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. <laughs> we, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned to us, a sphere that also includes you. 
You've been assigned to us. We are not going too far in our boasting as would be the case if we had not come to you. For we did not get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. Beautiful. For we do not stand, we do not want to boast about work already done in someone else's territory. But let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For if it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. He, in a way, is doing spiritual warfare in this letter. Calling out the strongholds, the arguments, the ideas, setting them aside and giving the truth. Can you see that? All right. So, he says, yeah, okay, so I just finished the whole chapter. It's a long piece and it starts with the words, you are judging by appearances. What, what is he actually saying when he say that? He says that you are taking your cue from the seen realm and letting it influence your thinking which influences your actions and your words. You follow that? He's saying you're judging by appearances. So you are taking your cue from what you see and that influences what you do and it influences what you say. And then he goes into the explanation of how they were wrongly judged and misunderstood and it's all the context of spiritual warfare. All of this he's speaking about in the context of spiritual warfare. I know, it's, it's like, isn't spiritual warfare supposed to be more juicy, more ethereal and harder to understand? The, constant, the context is actually good news. It's actually great news because Paul is helping to understand, the, the church to understand that life is spiritual. He's helping us to understand we have weapons mighty in God that gives us the authority to do some amazing things like pulling down strongholds, arguments, lofty ideas against the knowledge of God. And we can make every thought that comes into our minds and every other, and, and in other people's minds, we can take those things captive under the authority of Christ Jesus. And none of you are impressed by it. This is huge. I want you to get a spiritual picture of yourself in, in a spiritual space, which is your mind. And when thoughts come in, you, you have this, this way of just looking at it and going, is this for or against God's knowledge? And if it's not, you go, I'm pulling it down and taking it captive under the authority of Christ Jesus. And, and that is a practical spiritual thing you can do. When I was first discipled by someone who understood this, they told me, in the beginning, you do it out loud. You do it out loud. When a thought of lust or a thought of greed or a thought of lying or something comes into your mind, you say, no, in the name of Jesus, I take down this thought, this argument, this stronghold, and I put it under the authority of Christ Jesus. Jesus, you deal with this. Amen. If it comes back, you do it again. If it comes back, you do it again. And you will start noticing that it's, it moves away completely and it doesn't return. But then now you know how to spot it. How do we know what is against the knowledge of God? We know the word of God. So Christian, read the Bible. Not because you have to, because your spiritual survival depends on it. And the God that loves you has given you all the crypt notes for life. It's all there. Read it, do it. Amen? It's not a quick fix though. You never can approach this word of God the way you will approach a restaurant or a shop. And we tend to do that sometimes. You can't approach God like a genie in a bottle. That's not scriptural, it's not biblical. It's relational. Amen? All right, so from the context, 
Paul explains how argument strongholds, lofty ideas have come against his reputation as someone who shares the knowledge of God. And through this letter, he's actually taking some of those thoughts captive under the authority of Christ Jesus. He is, in effect, dismantling the strongholds in his readers' minds so that they can be free from wrong thinking and come back into alignment with the knowledge of God. That is the contextual truth that we read. Do you understand? But when, then we also get a principal truth from this passage. So there's a contextual truth that we learn from, but we also get a principle that we can apply. The wording suggests that although Paul is stating these things in specific context of his situation with the Corinth church, the principle that we have these weapons and can wield them and wage war in the heavenlies is a general truth for all believers. Do you understand that? So there's a contextual application that we need to understand, but there's a principle application we can also take from this and say, based on Hebrews 11.1, I stand on this word that I have weapons mighty in God for pulling down all kinds of strongholds and arguments. I may not have the exact things that happened to Paul, but similar things or other things that are against the knowledge of God might come against me, and I can use the same weapons. Are, we in, are you understanding? Okay. So we can read this and learn two main things. How we can handle situations in our life that are similar to Paul, and we can take the principle with the Holy Spirit's leading time in His Word also standing on Ephesians 6, and looking at what, what I mentioned earlier, 2 Chronicles 20, and we be, uh, and we can in, be encouraged and emboldened to go and not like victims, live like victims, but live like conquering victors in Christ. We are not timid. We are not afraid, but we are strong in the Lord. We are courageous in the Spirit. We are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And that is how we should live each day, every day, all day. Not from our emotions. Our emotions are valid and they will come and go. But we do not live from our emotions. We live from the Spirit. Amen? That's who we are. We are seated in what places? Do you believe it? We have access to every what blessing in the heavenly places? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are in this world, but we are not. Do you believe it? Great, you're going to change the whole world. Thank God. And lastly, I believe we should take note that if we are not yet operating in the Spirit when it comes to seemingly smaller things like what people think of me and what they say of me, we're probably not ready to take on bigger things in the spiritual realm. Did you follow? So Paul is teaching us how to handle spiritual warfare when it comes to something seemingly small like what people say about me. And we can turn that around and say, what, what am I saying about other people? Is what's coming out of here edifying, uplifting, blessing, unifying, or is it cursing, lying, and gossiping? I need to take those things maybe captive in my own life, all right? Because what you can do is read this and go, yo, yo, you know, those people are like that to me. I feel exactly like Paul. Now, that is spiritual arrogance, okay? We're not going to go there. We do not play the victim. We learn from what Paul is saying, and we go, oh, wow, thank God that I have these weapons that if anyone should speak about me or to me that way, I know exactly what to do. And I'm going to check myself. I'm going to humble myself before God and say, Lord, help me to take every thought captive if I want to say anything about anyone else that is not, not in line with your word, that I will stop myself and take the thought captive. Amen? Are we going to be that church? Are we going to be those Christians? That only thing that comes out of your mouth is loving, uplifting, edifying, and upbuilding. Amen? Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I want to do two examples as we close of where these principles of the fact that life is spiritual also operate. I'm going to take an Old Testament example and a New Testament example. Are you still with me, church? Are we good? All right. So I want to take David from the Old Testament. In, he, in the story of David, we learn that God does not judge on 
outward appearance. When, this, when, when Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel, he thought it's the oldest son of the seven because he was big and handsome and strong. And then the dad, Jesse, didn't even consider David that much. They had to especially call him out of the field. All right? And then God says to Samuel, I do not look at outward appearance, but unto the heart. And right through the story of David, we see what? He was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because even though he messed up badly, he never wavered in his belief in God. And when he did realize he was wrong, he repented immediately. Well, now, while he was shepherding his sheep, he learned who God was and who he was in God. He practically saw that when one is aligned in the spirit with God and understand that life is spiritual first, that position translates into the practical when it matters. Because he knew who God was, because he knew who he was, when a lion and a bear attacked his sheep, he could kill them. As a boy, he was somewhere between 14 and 17, guys, when he killed a bear and a lion. Would that take something supernatural? Yes. Would that just come up in your brain? No, it comes from time with God, understanding who my God is. So when he eventually came to the scene where the uncircumcised Philistine Goliath was shouting insults at God's nation and they were cowering, he could see what the situation was in the spirit. He didn't look at Goliath's size. He didn't look at the size of the Philistine army. He looked at the size of his God and then he looked at the size of Goliath and he smiled. That is why you could easily pull down the stronghold of Goliath's arguments, ideas that he was hurling against Israel. He was insulting them. He was speaking lies over them. And what were they doing on the other side? Thousands upon thousands of grown Israeli men were afraid. Why? Because they didn't take the words that Goliath spoke captive. They believed it, and their belief in the lie led to their action of inaction. Are you following? How many times have we not done that? Put yourself in the story. How many of you have fallen prey to a spirit of intimidation and fear? So I'm going to believe this. I'm challenged by that in this week. I'm going to go and proclaim and pray that SA stands with Israel. There are tens of thousands of people who hate that idea. In my flesh, I'm challenged. There's a part of me that goes like, maybe I shouldn't do this. But I know who my God is. And I know what his word says about Israel. And in the same way that that giant was hurling insults and negative things to the people of Israel, that hasn't changed. Do you know where the word Palestine comes from? It comes from the word Philistine. It's the same spirit, hurling accusations that are not true, completely baseless. What will we do? Will we take those things captive or will we just let it overwhelm us? And then because of David's faith in God and knowing that he has already won in the spirit because he knows that he knows his God is the Lord of the hosts of heaven's armies. And he says that as well. He speaks it out loud <coughs> in that scene. And that makes him what? Run to the battlefield. He, the Bible says he ran towards Goliath and killed him with one stone. Nothing in the physical made sense. Nothing. But in the spirit, in the unseen realm, everything made sense. Amen? New Testament example, the best example in the New Testament, Jesus Christ himself. According to the prophecy of the Messiah in Isaiah 53, Jesus would be a man of sorrows, not appealing to look at. The Jews were expecting a conquering hero in the physical who will ride in on horseback with an impressive army and overthrow the Roman government. Jesus disappointed them on every level. 
humble beginnings, humble life, nothing flashy about it. When people looked at the outward appearance of Jesus, they were not impressed. They struggled to believe he's the Messiah. Even when he started his ministry and did miracles, not all believed. His own town disbelieved and he left. Even John the Baptist had doubts. When Jesus was eventually arrested, tortured, taken to be crucified, it seemed in the physical that he had lost. He wasn't even defending the lies that were told about him. People were accusing him. He just stood there. Why? Because he knew the truth. And he knew what the scriptures prophesied over him. He knew the truth. He knew what his mission was. He was prayed up and ready in his spirit for what was to come. Ultimately, he defeated the devil, sin, and death on the cross, and he became the savior of the world because no one was looking at it from the spirit except him. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast, Message of the Week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.